She has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50. She's a consultant and a keynote speaker, teaches executive education at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School, and is the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine. A former presidential campaign spokeswoman, she has been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinventing and helping others make changes in their lives. A frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, she consults and speaks for clients like Google, Microsoft, and the World Bank. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast on Entrepreneurial You with Dory Clark. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curvebenders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curvebenders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Disruptive Agility, Five Accelerators of Agile Leadership with Hannah Inam, nor Virtual Fireside Chat with Hal Gregerson on Asking the Right Questions, Business Over Breakfast with Emory Executive Education Series on Strategy Visualization and Agile Alignment, Co-Create, How Collaboration Will Fuel the Field Service New Norm in the COVID-19 World with Service Council. These are just some of our upcoming webinars, and you can learn more on our website, norgroup.com slash webinars. Welcome back to the Curvebenders podcast. I'm joined today by a friend, a colleague, MG100 community member, and uh, as you'll soon hear, the authority on really the entrepreneurial you, the branding of you, the market presence of you. You're going to hear some incredible insights. My guest is Dory Clark. Dory, welcome to the Curvebenders podcast. Noor, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much. It is great to have you. So Dory, for those who may not know as much about you, your background, can you for a couple of minutes talk about where you've been and what you've done? You've got a great and a very diverse background. So it'd be great to hear your, your story. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, these days, what I focus on is helping talented individuals and great organizations get their message heard in a noisy environment. And I do that a lot of different ways. Uh, when when people are allowed to travel, I do keynote speeches. I uh, teach executive ed for Duke and for Columbia, and I write business books, um, sometimes uh, 
articles for the Harvard Business Review. And my most recent book uh, is from Harvard Business Review Press. It's called Entrepreneurial You, which is about how to think more entrepreneurially and develop multiple income streams in your business. Uh, before that, you're exactly right. I did a lot of things. I was a uh, communications director on a presidential campaign. I was a political journalist. I ran a nonprofit and uh, had a lot of adventures along the way. So um, I've reinvented myself a few times, which is actually the topic of my first book, Reinventing You. And and you have a knack for, <laughs> I don't know if I can say that, for timing. Didn't you look for a job <laughs> in September of 2001? <laughs> it's true. I, I can't. Uh, I can't take too much credit for uh, for that exactly because it was uh, kind of forced upon me. I was working in my very first job out of grad school as a journalist, and I ended up getting my pink slip. I was laid off on Monday, September tenth, two thousand one. Uh, and I think the next day was probably the worst time in history to be starting a job hunt. Uh, so it, it seared into me very early on the importance of uh, trying to build up reserves for yourself, whether that's financial reserves or network reserves or uh, reserves in the, friend, in the form of having a strong brand for yourself so that people know who you are and you have something to fall back on if, uh, if there's disruption or uh, dramatic change, which I think we're we're all experiencing uh, right around now. And, and I love that that idea of uh, of of reserves. Uh, so we're in midst of uh, this COVID nineteen pandemic. Dory, what are you seeing in the market in your conversation with folks? What's top of mind? You know, Nora, it's interesting. I, I think uh, m- much like uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of uh, of grief around death, I think that uh, we have all as a culture been through these sort of waves of uh, of reactions. And in the business world, I mean, of course, we have our human reactions as well. People, people are scared, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're frightened. But in the business world, um, I think there was initially just a lot of freezing, you know, sort of a, a fight or flight kind of thing. And businesses froze because they had never seen this before. They had no idea what was happening. And so all spending, all planning just just seized up because how can you possibly make any decisions about what to buy or where to, what services to contract for or where you want to have your next event when you don't even know when the world is going to be allowed to have events. Uh, so I, I think there certainly was a lot of that in the first few weeks. There still is to a certain extent. But what I am starting to see, you know, and I live in New York, which uh, is, you know, I, I say uh, not really with pride, leading the country in uh, <laughs> in the, the COVID cases and, and sort of the arc. But I think what it does mean is that, um, you know, God willing, if we're uh, able to be getting through this successfully, we will probably get through it faster since uh, since the peak happened in New York faster than in other places in the U.S. But what I am interestingly starting to see literally just in the last few days is little peaks of, uh, it's, it's, it's like bulbs, like tulip bulbs coming up through the dirt. I'm starting to see that. Um, I had two different clients reach out to me today 
And I was, for both of them, going to be giving speeches. Um, One was postponed. Another one was going to be a speech in July. Uh, But both of those clients reached out and said, oh, hey, we have now planned to convert to virtual events. Um, Can you convert your talk virtually? Um, So, you know, the good news for that, these are things that could have been canceled. They were not. And what I'm sensing from that is that the clients feel like they are wrapping their arms around it enough that, you know, it's not reinstating it as an in-person event, but they seem to have enough of a sense that, okay, well, we can make a plan of some kind, even if the plan is to do it virtually. So I think that business is moving forward, even though it's maybe going to be in a changed form for a while. So that's a great point. Uh, you and I speak extensively. We, we travel extensively. W- what's your perception of uh, these businesses that are going to require, uh, you know, physical proximity, right? Restaurants, and we got to get back to theaters and sporting events. And you're at the epicenter of all these amazing experiences. And so, what's what do you think is going to happen to conferences? What do you? Th- what's your perception of of events? Should we? all be planning for virtual interactions in the foreseeable future, or you actually see us getting back on stages? Well, I think for sure, eventually, we're going to be getting back on stages. Uh, I think the the real question in the minds of conference organizers is how long the government restrictions are going to be in place. I mean, um, nobody wants to go through all of the massive logistical hassle of saying, oh, we're moving our conference to June, only to be told in June, nope, sorry, no conferences are allowed. And so uh, what I am seeing is that uh, so far with the clients that I'm working with, fall dates seem to be preserved for now. I think everyone is assuming there's a little bit of an asterisk on it, a little bit of wait and see. But I had a call this week for a conference that I'm keynoting in October. And that is moving forward. Um, They, I mean, presumably they'll change it if they have to change it. But right now they are assuming that this conference will take place as planned. Um, I also got another speaking inquiry today uh, about a new gig, a new opportunity in November. And so uh, I think that the betting money for conference planners, at least, seems to be that by fall things will be uh, opened up again. But um, you know, we all have to wait and see how how things shake out. Certainly, your most recent book is called Entrepreneurial You, and you talk a lot about uh, branding yourself and monetizing your expertise and creating multiple income streams. So, talk a little about. Uh, that may be a little easier for you know entrepreneurs like you and me or small business owner. How do people inside corporate roles? How do people inside uh, you know I don't, I don't think there's any nine to five jobs anywhere, but how does somebody inside an organization think more and behave more entrepreneurially? Yeah, it's a really important question, Nora. And I think that actually it may sound like it's a message only for people who are already entrepreneurs, but in many ways, the message is even more important for people that work in day jobs. Because one thing that I I learned very vividly and very viscerally when I got laid off from my first job as a newspaper reporter is everything seems pretty steady and pretty stable with your secure day job until it's not. 
and you go from having a hundred percent of your income being filled by this job to having zero percent of your income filled by it. And you suddenly have to make that up. When I got laid off, they gave me four days of severance pay. I had worked through Monday. And so they, they, they gave me my pay for the rest of the week and said, okay, off you go. So uh, it was uh, kind of a traumatic experience because obviously uh, you're not going to get a job within four days, certainly not when there's been a major terrorist attack. So um, I realized, oh, you know, I, I should have been thinking about things differently. So even for someone who is a, uh, a salaried employee, I think it's, it's really critical to think about other income streams. And it's just a way of protecting yourself. And one example is uh, there's a, a guy who's actually nowadays a fairly well-known podcaster named Pat Flynn. And I profiled him in my book, Entrepreneurial You. And one of the stories that I loved, he, his uh, business was kind of born out of the last crisis, the financial crisis of 2008. He was an employee at an architecture firm. And of course, architecture was hit very, very hard in the financial crisis. Nobody wanted to build new buildings. Um, so he was employed at this firm and as part of his job, he had been studying to get his uh, his LEED certification, which is a kind of green building certification. It's a complex test. And so he had been studying for a while, and he created a blog to essentially serve as study notes for himself. And, you know, he just put up all the all his notes, all his learning tools there, and other people started using it. You know, he, he did it as a kind of resource for other people as a way of giving back. And so he created this blog and it started to rank pretty highly in Google because people found it useful. And one day it occurred to him, you know, I wonder if someone actually might pay for an ebook that was a compilation of all these study notes. So he just on a lark, he decided to do it. He puts together this ebook. It's just a PDF people can download, uh, puts it up for sale. And within a month, it turns out he sold nearly $8,000 worth of that book and from his notes, from his study notes. From his study notes. That's exactly right. And the next month he gets laid off from his architecture job. And so this business that he had almost inadvertently created on the side ended up being the lifeline for him during, during the Great Recession. That's amazing. And it's a testament to the book you wrote before this one, which was Reinventing You. And really you talk a lot about, you know, building a brand and, and really making sure you're you know, your unique passions and talents come out. How did uh, writing Reinventing You and even Stand Out before that lead you or did it to the entrepreneurial you? Well, it, it's a great question. And there there is an arc for sure. Um, reinventing You in many ways was kind of a, a, it was a chronicle inspired by a lot of my early career shifts. And of course, I interviewed dozens and dozens of people who had reinvented themselves to try to understand best practices. But the next book, the middle book that I wrote after that was something called Stand Out. And I wrote that because I was on a quest. I really wanted to find the answer for myself of how someone gets to be a thought leader in their field. You know, I had reinvented myself into the world of business consulting, marketing consulting, and that was great. But I very quickly discovered, as most people do when they enter a new field, oh my God, there's so much competition. There are so many people who are doing the exact same thing. And people would sometimes ask, you know, oh, well, you know, what's your niche? What do you do? How are you different? And I realized I didn't really have a good answer for them. I didn't have a way of showing them that I was different. They they just kind of thought I was a 
commodity or an also ran. And it felt very depressing. And I knew I had good ideas, but I just wasn't sure really how to share them. And so I wanted to embark upon this research process to really try to understand among the people that I admired, the people that I considered to be thought leaders, how did they do that? How did they get there? How did they get their ideas heard? So I wrote Stand Out as a way of decoding that process of becoming a thought leader in one's field. Um, and I really tried to practice what I preached and, and do a lot of those things. And so it was a very valuable process. But as I did that, as I learned all these steps, I also had another realization, kind of a secondary realization, which is that all the things it takes to be a thought leader, that is great. Uh, and very valuable to do, but they are not in and of themselves inherently revenue generating. Meaning someone can build up a fantastic reputation as a leader in their field. Everyone admires them, but it is not self-evident that they are actually making money from that. Money does not logically flow from it because a lot of the things that you might do to be a thought leader, oh, you, you know, you write blog posts in prestigious places or, oh, she's so popular on YouTube or whatever. Those things don't pay. And so you have to get clever. You have to be deliberate about how you monetize those things, how you monetize your income streams. And that was why I wrote Entrepreneurial You because I wanted to figure out how do you convert being good at what you do to being financially successful at what you do. As you and I discussed, this idea of curve benders is at the nexus of future of work and strategic relationships. Unless you tell me otherwise, this idea of, of standing out and, and the entrepreneurial, you are going to be as relevant, if not more so, moving forward, almost like this post-COVID-19 world as they've been in the past. It's going to be even that much more critical for you to set yourself apart and diversify your skills, your expertise, your revenue model. Am I right? I, I agree with you. I think I think it's exactly right. I mean, during boom times, uh, you know, it, it, for in many ways, it goes back to a, a quote of Warren Buffett's that I like, which is that, you know, when the tide goes out, you can see who's been swimming naked. And, uh, you know, during boom times of which, you know, for the past 12 years, We've had this unprecedented bull market. A lot of people have been able to be successful just because the the gravitational forces were pushing everyone towards success. Uh, and so it was really only the ambitious people, really only the the kind of foresighted overachievers who said, oh, but I have to build my brand. I have to get better. I have to get better known. I need to uh, secure a firm toehold here. Um, a lot of people were just happy to kind of skate along on the momentum of uh, a growing economy. But it becomes far more critical in recessionary times because now you have people who say, oh, wow, my business depends on being well-known. You know, during a recession, the weaker players in any given market get swept out to sea. That is what happens in any industry. And so if you want to make sure that's not you, that instead you actually are one of the most successful, that you have a chance to uh, consolidate your market share rather than being put out of business, it becomes extremely important to have a strong brand, to be well-known, to have people looking for you specifically rather than just looking for a commodity, because there's always going to be somebody cheaper out there. In building your brand, in building your revenue streams, in really uh, building this solid foundation, um, Dory, where does where is the role of learning 
and growing and continuously not becoming complacent come in? Well, I think one of the most important elements when it comes to continually learning and growing, this is something that we're seeing a lot in the kind of COVID shakeout, which is just to take one example, a lot of our colleagues are now saying, oh, wow, I wish I had gotten into online courses sooner, or I wish I had uh, been thinking about virtual delivery methods. And those are things that when the market is good, you can get away with ignoring, you can get away with pushing it down the line and saying, oh, you know, maybe, maybe some other time. Um, but it becomes very cr- critical very quickly. And in any business, in any corporate environment, we've seen now in a situation where people have suddenly been forced in the period of a week to go virtual, to have, uh, you know, all their meetings virtual, all their employees are remote. It is a heck of a lot easier for a company that already has been doing that and already has been experimenting with that and building in, into place uh, best practices and policies as compared to having to invent something on the fly. And so for all of us, reinvention, this is something I talk about a lot in my book, Reinventing You, there's capital R reinvention and there's lowercase r reinvention. And capital R reinvention is is often what we think of, which is, you know, the big dramatic change. And that can be exciting, but it's also very upsetting and very unsettling because when you're having to make a a very large transition quickly, um, a lot of things are not done as well as they should be. And there's a lot more uh, turmoil and and casualties in, in the wake of something like that. Whereas if we all organizationally and individually get good at what I call lowercase r reinvention, which is small, tiny steps, tiny tweaks, that flexes the muscle and it gets you ready to step into changes so that they don't have to be done in such an, an aggressive, tumultuous way, but can actually be much smoother of a transition into the future. Mm. So we're talking about uh, curve benders as the future of work and to remain relevant in all these forces, including black swan events like the current COVID-19 that come at you. You have to be on this continuous learning and growth trajectory. And my premise is certain relationships come into our lives that dramatically change both the direction and destination. Dory, in thinking about where you've been and what you've done and the amazing journey you've had and and now, you know, teaching at Duke and Columbia and all the guest lectures and all the great folks you've been able to work with, can you think of one or two relationships beyond great bosses or coaches or mentors that have profoundly changed your trajectory, your direction? Well, one example, Nora, that comes to mind is uh, a friend of mine named Deirdre, and Deirdre is someone that I first met when I moved to New York about five years ago. And when I first moved to New York, I didn't know a lot of people here. I mean, I had some acquaintances, but not a ton. And so as a way of really just kind of rebuilding my social network, I decided that I would start organizing dinner gatherings. And once a month, or sometimes even more than that, two or three times a month uh, during my peak times, I would organize these dinner gatherings of maybe uh, eight or 10 people. And they were just all kind of a mix of interesting folks who I thought might like each other. 
And they were people that I knew as business connections, or sometimes I would co-host it with a colleague and we would each invite people. And I think that's actually how I met Deirdre was I co-hosted with a colleague and then he invited her. And she came to this dinner and she was very appreciative that I had invited her. I mean, oftentimes uh, people feel intimidated about the idea of hosting their own events, but the funny part is people are so grateful. People love it when you host. They're like, oh, thank you for including me, you know? And so Deirdre was appreciative that I invited her and we hit it off. And she had just started uh, doing uh, some online courses. And this was something that I was just starting to do as well. 2014 was the first online course that I created. Um, I was doing this. Now I have courses that I've created for myself, but I've also worked with a number of different entities creating courses. So I did my first in 2014. So I'd done a little bit so I could talk shop with her about it, but she was um, working with a company and she said, Oh, you know, that's great that you, that you do this, this online learning. Um, she said, these people are really great to work with. Maybe I'll, I'll connect you. And so I said, Oh, that would be great. So she did. And it turns out that this has been so transformative uh, for my business I have had uh, courses that have been seen literally hundreds of thousands of times. I have made, goodness, I mean, probably over $300,000 from it, maybe more. And it has created a really fantastic passive revenue stream, which becomes especially important during down economic times. Uh, so I'm, I'm enormously grateful to her for that introduction. And uh, it oftentimes, like, like a lot of these things, it comes from people that you don't necessarily know that well, but uh, if you're cultivating a diverse network, can really be uh, extraordinarily helpful and transformational to you. I love that story. You also were kind enough to share a story of uh, back before you moved to New York, you were in Boston, and you sold a bicycle on Craigslist to someone that became uh, incredibly valuable in your life. Can you talk about that story for a minute? Yeah, I definitely can. So something that, that has been very helpful to me professionally is for over a decade now, I've had a relationship with the Harvard Business Review and I write articles regularly for them. I've done over 200 articles for them. They've published two of my books. I've just signed a contract with them to do a third book. Uh, so it's, it's really been a, a big part of my life in, in recent years as a uh, business consultant and author. And the way that I started writing for HBR is that there was a woman that I, as you mentioned, I sold my bike on Craigslist to. I was living in Boston at the time, and it just so happened she worked at HBR. And I had been trying to break in to start blogging for different publications. HBR was not really on my radar list. But when she told me that she worked there, I was at least smart enough to say, oh, wait, they have a blog. How do you start blogging for them? And I already had all of these ideas and all these pitches put together because I had been working on it. Um, I guess, you know, that's that's part of the, the key to all this, too, is that you have to have done legwork in advance in order to be able to take advantage of these chance opportunities. But um, she offered to introduce me. I had to follow up a few times, but she offered to introduce me to an editor there. I passed along to him some of these elaborate pitches that I had constructed, and he actually liked them and started publishing my work. And that was how I got in with with HBR, uh, was through this this nice woman that I, you know, really only met a couple of times that I sold my bike to. That's fantastic. So when I tell people that curve benders are relationships that dramatically change our direction, our destination, 
a, a fascinating question, Dory, that comes up is how do you how do you also become one, right? So in thinking about all the people you've coached and all the people you've mentored, what do you think makes a great curve bender? How do you how do you impact somebody else's life? Well, I think one of the most important elements is really paying attention long enough and getting to know people so that you understand what types of things they're interested in as goals, you know, where do they want to go and also what their what their skills are. You know, no it's so important to get to know what someone can bring to the table so that you're able to make connections and use pattern recognition to figure out where you can connect them and where you can slot them in. So, you know, for instance, I run an online course uh, called the Recognized Expert course. And I I think it's a great program. It, you know, it, it, I put a lot of time and effort into creating something to help people understand how they can become a recognized expert in their field. Uh, but it's interesting because some people get really involved in the community around the course because we have a very active Facebook group and we have monthly uh, webinars and things like that. And some people don't. And it's fine. You know, some people are uh, just taking the course on their own time and uh, getting what they want out of it, which is which is great and perfectly fine. But it is interesting to me that the people who are the most actively involved, for instance, the people who really are uh, commenting on posts and showing up at the webinars and coming to meetups and things like that, they are the people who not only are able to often get the most out of it because they're building connections with other people in the community, um, which then, you know, they start doing business together. They show up on each other's podcasts and feature each other in blogs and things like that. But also I get to know them more and, you know, I would like to help everybody. I would like to do favors for everybody, but I don't necessarily know how to do favors for everybody. But when I become really familiar with someone's skill set it enables me to look for places to slot them in. So just as one example, there's a woman in my recognized expert community um, who I got to know well because she was active in the community. She was part of our pilot cohort. She came to a mastermind event I did in New York. So I knew a lot about her. And it turns out she was the vice chancellor of e-learning at a large state university, you know, kind of a cool, distinguished person. And very cleverly, she started learning about how to become a recognized expert and really diving into this professional development two years prior to starting her own business. She, you know, was really methodical about it and, and was creating a kind of uh, runway for herself. And so over this two year period, I got to know her. And anyway, it, it, as it so happens, uh, within the last year, I joined the board of a university. And, uh, we, we discovered, I discovered as I joined this board that one of the areas where they were looking to grow, uh, but didn't have a lot of resources in terms of, of know-how on the board was in e-learning. And so I immediately thought of this woman. I thought, oh, wow, she can be, she can be a great resource for this. I reached out to her and I invited her, uh, to, you know, to see if she was interested. She was. And so this month, she's actually going to be appointed to this university board, which is a very prestigious uh, thing that she had wanted for a long time. Uh, and it, it's great for her, and it's fantastic for the university that gets her expertise. So it's really a win-win. 
I love that. So we are both invested in each other and got to know each other better. And the opportunity came up. What a great connection to make. That's fantastic. So Dory, what's next for you? You mentioned the new book with HBR. Can you give our audience a, a, a overall or high level glimpse into the, the concept? Yeah, the high level, the high level concept is, uh, about the power of long term thinking and how we can better cultivate that skill in our lives. Um, so often we are thinking short term because we, we have to be, whether that is just pressures at work or sometimes it's, uh, the crush of keeping up with the Joneses on social media or sometimes it's because of, genuine calamities like the pandemic that we're in the midst of right now. But there's always a push toward uh, thinking, thinking kind of instrumentally in the moment. But we can have our greatest success if we are simultaneously able to raise our heads up and look just a little further on the horizon. And so my book is going to explore how we can do that better. So for those who want to learn more about you, I know you've got a fantastic assessment on your website and how do people get in touch? How do they learn more about you and your work? Yeah, Nora, thank you very much. Um, for folks who are interested, um, I have more than 700 articles, speaking of content creation, uh, that I have written for places like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review, uh, which are available all for free on my website, which is doryclark.com. And for folks who are interested in the idea of creating multiple revenue streams in your business, you can get the 88-question entrepreneurial use self-assessment, which helps you figure out how to create new income streams in your own business. And that is at doryclark.com, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com slash entrepreneur. That's fantastic. Dory, I want to thank you for being a fantastic guest on the Curve Benders podcast. You're, you're gracious as always, great content, and I can't wait to see you again. Noor, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curvebenders book. This will be book number 11 for me with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, phenomenal interviews. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the first 500 participants. So go to norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com. The very bottom of the page, there's a get in touch section and simply enter Curve Benders Insights. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curve Benders podcast on the entrepreneurial you with my friend Dory Clark. Dory is world class in helping her community build their individual brands, reinventing yourself, standing out, creating a following for your ideas, and certainly how to think more entrepreneurially within your organization. Check out Dory's recognized expert self-evaluation toolkit available for free from her website, doryclark.com. Lastly, don't forget, I turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so check them out on our website at norgroup.com slash blog. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. 
Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm using the hashtag CurvebendersPodcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. Thank you.